This is Research News from UIC, the University of Illinois at Chicago. Today, David Jacobs, Adjunct Associate Professor of Environmental and Occupational Health Sciences in the UIC School of Public Health, Chief Scientist at the National Center for Healthy Housing, and former Director of the Office of Lead Hazard Control at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, talks about the effect of lead on the body, what happened in Flint, Michigan, and what should be done to reduce the risk of exposure to lead hazards. Here's David Jacobs. Lead actually is one of the best studied toxic substances that we have. There have been tens of thousands of, uh, of studies uh, to describe lead toxicology. I have a book chapter uh, in a leading toxicology textbook that describes some of this in further detail. But to summarize, uh, lead, uh, the body basically regards lead as calcium. And so most, and as you may know, calcium is a key aspect of how our nervous system works. Uh, how our nerves fire, uh, and so much of the lead that is ingested actually ends up in your bone. And if it stayed in your bone, it wouldn't do much harm, but it doesn't. It, it leaches out into the blood supply and goes after the target organ. Uh, it, it has no beneficial value, unlike other metals like zinc or iron or calcium, uh, and it basically inhibits uh, brain development. Uh, as well as learning ability. We know that lead is associated with reduced IQ. Uh, there's been a major study here in Chicago by a UIC alum, Ann Evans, who showed that there were statistically significant declines in reading and math scores, even at so-called lower blood lead levels, going back more than a decade now. So, you know, schools and education reform is very much at the top of the agenda. The nation has uh, a good capacity in the form of uh, lead poisoning prevention professionals to both manage the risks in the near term as well as in the long term. Uh, what happened in Flint was that that professional capacity was ignored in the interest of short-term cost savings, which have now, of course, evaporated. Uh, so what happened in Flint was uh, the short-term management approach to lead in drinking water, which is basically um, control of water chemistry, uh, was ignored. So they changed the source water. They did not uh, change the water chemistry accordingly. As a result, uh, the lead in the pipes was leached into the drinking water supply and exposed people needlessly. Um, so I think there are two lessons to be learned from that. Uh, first, you've got to pay attention to lead poisoning prevention professionals and the science. Uh, we know how to control this problem. Uh, we've been dealing this now for at least 100 years uh, because the Lead Industry Association and companies like Sherwin-Williams uh, were successful in putting lead into a variety of products like paint and water pipes, and that has cost the nation huge amounts of money to address it. But the short answer is we know how to fix this. It's a question of simply using our professional capacity wisely, uh, paying attention to the professionals, uh, and then acting and funding those measures accordingly. Uh, this was the Flint, uh, fundamentally, it was a penny-wise, uh, pound-foolish sort of thing to do. We will spend far more uh, correcting that problem in Flint and other cities like it uh, than we ever saved. There are a large number of, of lead water pipes uh, in Chicago. Uh, those need to be gradually eliminated. Uh, some jurisdictions, for example, have done it 
as part of street paving operations. Uh, what we must not do, however, is to do so-called partial pipe replacement. So this is where, uh, say, this there's a lead service line going out from the house to the or the school to the main water supply line. What sometimes jurisdictions will do is cut the uh, at the property line the part that is city owned and the part that is privately owned. And there are studies now showing that if you do this so-called partial pipe replacement, you will actually increase lead exposures because you're disturbing the lead in the pipe. And when you cut it, you make the lead available to the water supply. So that's you, if you're going to replace the lead pipes, you have to replace all of them, whether they're on private property or not from a public health perspective. Uh, one of the other studies that was done most recently uh, here in Chicago, a uh, uh, study that UIC did that I led uh, involved uh, window replacement in uh, Englewood as well as in Peoria, sort of a rural area and an urban area. Uh, windows turn out to have the highest source of uh, lead dust and lead paint on them. Uh, and so the expectation was that, um, and this is, by the way, this was state money. It wasn't federal money in this case. Uh, the state provided $5 million to do this pilot program, and we followed the homes for a one-year period. And what we showed, not surprisingly, was that if you replace the windows, not only do you replace the lead dust on the windows, uh, sills, and the window troughs, but you also reduce them on the floors. And the floors are the surface that children contact most frequently as they crawl around and then put their fingers in the mouth. That's the primary route of exposure. So that program was shown to work. Uh, it, we did a cost-benefit analysis for that program. We showed that there would be a net benefit of about $3 million for this investment of $5 million. That's your net uh, uh, profit, if you will. Uh, so it makes sense financially. Unfortunately, lead has become ubiquitous in our environment. Uh, the data are very good at showing that about 70% of the nation's childhood lead poisoning cases are due to lead-based paint hazards in older housing. Uh, and that includes uh, dust, uh, settled dust on uh, horizontal surfaces, uh, and as well as uh, lead deteriorated lead-based paint and lead in soil. So these are sort of legacy sources, if you will. Uh, they are also present in a variety of consumer products, um, uh, and there continue to be uh, there continues to be production of new lead-based paint in other countries. Uh, so paint is the main source of exposure for any individual child. Uh, it could be a variety of sources. It could be if the parent, for example, works in a, a battery plant, they can bring some of the lead dust home on work clothing, uh, water hobbies. Uh, a large number of things. And this is exactly what lead risk assessors are employed to do. They are detectives, so they go in and evaluate a child uh, and a child's exposure potential and then act to control those exposures. So unfortunately, what we do in this country is basically continue to chase lead poisoned children instead of uh, identifying and correcting the sources of those exposure before children's blood lead goes up. So we have the technologies to look at housing and other exposure patterns, uh, but we continue to play this reactive game, whether it's in Flint or here in Chicago or in other places where uh, we know that there are exposures out there. They're not controlled. Uh, we have not found the financial resources to either address these exposures in the near term or the long term. And that's what we need to do if we want to make sure that our children grow up to be the best and the brightest that they can be. Uh, personally, I'm outraged that it takes something like 
Flint to focus the nation's attention on this problem. Um, so we should make the most of this, I suppose. If there is a silver lining to be had in Flint, it's that perhaps uh, the nation will finally focus its attention uh, and the administration and Congress will provide both the policy and the necessary resources to tackle this problem. Uh, this is one of those diseases for which we have solutions. Uh, we know how to prevent this problem. Uh, economically, uh, for every dollar we spend on lead hazard control, we get back at least $17 uh, in benefits. That is actually better, uh, slightly better, than vaccines, which in public health is sort of the gold standard. Uh, so, so we know this works. We, it makes financial sense. There is simply no good reason not to make this wise investment in our children's future. David Jacobs is Adjunct Associate Professor of Environmental and Occupational Health Sciences in the UIC School of Public Health and Chief Scientist at the National Center for Healthy Housing. This has been Research News from UIC, the University of Illinois at Chicago. For more information on UIC, visit www.uic.edu.